Hi, everyone. This is Jackson Steger, and you're listening to Campfire, a limited series podcast from Cabin. Campfire is a show that seeks to understand how decentralized organizations achieve wildly ambitious and creative goals. Each week, we're joined by DAO leaders and operators who share the tips, tricks, and tactics that they've used to build community and ship product. Today's guests are Dakota and Marcus, two of the founding members of Cohere. And Cohere is a growing network of co-living facilities around the world. It was created in response to how the pandemic radically shifted the way we live, work, and travel. In 2021, 15 and a half million American workers define themselves as digital nomads, myself included. This is more than double the 7.3 million digital nomads in the US at the end of 2019. These nomads are fueling an evolving trend of remote workers that travel more often and stay in places for longer periods of time. Now that work and travel are an extension of our lives and not just something that we do on vacation, it's essential that our spaces and amenities reflect this cultural shift. As solutions-oriented designers, engineers, and architects, the Cohere team saw a gap in the hospitality market as an opportunity to create a new kind of co-living that reflects our evolving lifestyles. After piloting regenerative facilities in Latin America, Dakota and Marcus now look to Web3 and other new financial instruments to help their community scale and become member-owned. To do that, they have separated Cohere into two entities, the Delaware C Corp that owns their actual land and a DAO that manages business operations. The C Corp is funded in part by a regulated crowdfunding campaign that is live now on the WeFunder platform. You can learn more about how both accredited and non-accredited investors can get involved with the project at cohere.network. But note that nothing on this podcast episode is investment advice, nor does Cabin currently have any formal partnership with Cohere. Our discussion today focuses on what makes a successful co-living experience, why their decentralized project has a C-suite, what it means to build a regenerative community, and how to make sure tokens are compliant with regulatory requirements. This was a fascinating, dense episode, and I'm looking forward to exploring more about how other kinds of city-building organizations like CityDAO or Praxis or even Cul-de-Sac can work with Cabin to help co-build the future. All right, let's get it. Enjoy. Cool. Dakota and Marcus, welcome to Campfire. It's a crowded campfire today. Excited to have you both here. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Jackson. I want to get started with just the most obvious question and up to you two on who wants to answer it first, but I would like both of your answers. What is Cohere? Cohere is a member-owned network of co-living facilities around the world. We're building a regenerative fund that's member-owned through an asset-backed token. Yeah, I think on my end, the way I see I envision Cohere is uh, regenerative innovation hubs that are leveraging some of the most cutting edge Web3 infrastructure that's coming out on a number of different fronts and really creating a global network of change makers to come together and address some of the world's most pressing challenges as a community and a collective. Awesome. So listeners will know from the intro that a huge part of the Cohere vision is kind of on the heels of the pandemic and this new trend in digital nomadism and also trying to address rising feelings of social isolation. I have my own digital nomad story. So I grew up moving countries every two or three years. And then when COVID hit, I upped my cadence even more. I've been doing a different spot every month. Finally, might sign a lease here in LA for a bit. But for the last two years, it's been month to month. And I've done a large number of co-living experiences, some that I've organized, some that I've just paid to participate in. 
And there's been a wide range of awesome and not so awesome, but still pretty good experiences that I've had. I'm curious in your early days of Cohere and, and perhaps before as well, what makes a successful co-living experience? And feel free to be as holistic as possible in your answer. You want to start, Dakota? Sure. A big piece of it is shared values. And so the shared values of why we're all coming together and having that be clearly understood and having the culture expressed. Another piece to me is the built environment. Oftentimes we think of co-living and we think of a single family home with a bunch of working professionals taking over a single family home where it was not designed for that. So design of the physical environment is really key as well. So the values and the space, I think, are the two big ones. I'd like to dive into both of those a little bit more. So similarly, in my experience, I've done co-living that's oriented around wellness or co-living that's oriented around creativity. And either is fine, and there's plenty of other different ways you can orient the co-living community as well. But what I've found is just making sure everyone in that co-living experience is oriented around the same core principles or values or mission is key. And so as you think about Cohere's selection process in admitting members to, to come and live at, at one of your properties, how do you choose those people and, and how do you vet that they actually live those values that you're speaking to? Yeah, a big piece of it is having a phased approach. One of the things that happens oftentimes with co-living and all the way to intentional communities is we have many friends who are in this camp. Of, Let's get 150 of us together and we're going to go build a community and co-live. We really believe that can be often a fool's errand or has some inherent challenges. And that's building the trust and building the onboard ramp to imbue those values and principles. And for us, there's some really fundamental principles like what is it to hold respect or listening? And, and those are very practical. And then also on the practical level with Cohere, a piece of it is a big piece of it is that we're also all our own co-owners of it. And statistically, when someone owns something, they take care of it in a very different way than when you're at a hotel or an Airbnb. And so we're providing these tiers of access and involvement through our DAO. And then there's the actual buy-in that everyone really has a stake in the space. And they have a financial gain to be had in being a steward. So those are a couple of things. I want to add on to that just to say that we, we really think about it. Anytime you're going to engage with anyone or thing, it's a progressive step towards one another and establish these relationships. I recently was reading an article that was saying something along the lines of it takes about 100 hours of FaceTime before you feel that you can genuinely trust someone. And so at Cohere, it's part of what we're doing is we're essentially enabling people to come together and have set up a number of structures, which I'm sure we'll get into in a later section of this podcast, as far as like how we enable folks to come together and break bread to establish that trust that Dakota is touching on. Yes, we'll definitely get into all of the fun ownership dynamics and the DAO pieces here, but want to stay just still on the space and the people for a little bit. I'm curious for, for both of you, just to back up for a second, what was your first co-living experience? What was the moment for each of you where you realized, oh, wow, a community to, to live with is, is way better than going it alone? So my first co-living experience was in, I actually grew up in a restaurant. My mom owned a restaurant and then we rented out some properties. And so my whole childhood was just one that was constantly surrounded by people from literally all walks of life. So for me, it was just from a very early age imbued in me that 
being surrounded by diverse groups of people that are coming from all walks of life, each of us showing up with unique gifts and talents. There was always a sense of art and music and creativity and thought and intellect that was very early on made very apparent to me that this was like valuable and something that I cared about. And obviously, once as, as you grow up and if you end up going to university, I feel like for many of us, that ends up being that space where wow, I am now surrounded by brilliant humans again. And, and I think the transition out of a co-living experience sometimes can be quite a, almost like a violent one where you're surrounded by this like really loving space. And all of a sudden, maybe you move back to your parents' house or you move to this town where you don't know anyone. And, and you're like, where, where are all these people that I love? And so I think that whilst having an amazing co-living experience, it can be this really beautiful very opening one, a very opening experience, stepping outside of that and no longer being in that community can oftentimes be a very drastic change. And I think for us, it's just been this idea of why don't we, for those of us called towards this type of living, enable this to be recreated at scale. So that's a little bit on my first experience and the why behind Cohere as well and how we're moving forward with things. Beautiful. Yeah, for me, the first co-living experience I had was largely at architecture school. I went to the Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture, and Taliesin is a long, was a very long-lasting community where you live with your mates, you live with your your fellow students, and then scholars and preservation builders. And that was such a potent time for me for the energy that you get when you live in community and the the vibrancy that comes from that, especially a multi generational community oriented around how to become an architect. And then there's lots of deep lessons around the things that can be challenging that come up in a community when certain structures, especially on the cultural side, could be stronger. And so that was one of the first potent times. Like I lived there for seven years, went, did my undergrad and my master's and taught a little bit there. And so it was fun to have that long-term experience living in a community. And, and I'm sure that all of those lessons learned outside of the classroom are core to how you're thinking about the, the culture of Cohere right now. I want to also dive into some of the lessons that you might have learned inside the classroom as it pertains to the spaces that you're thinking about and designing. So a two-part higher level question to get this particular ball rolling. How do you choose the spaces that will seed and inform the Cohere network? And also what locations do you currently have in network that folks can visit sooner already? So the first question, how do we choose loca- how, do, how do we choose locations? Part of that is twofold. Where part of Cohere is how do we show the world and how do we build the most regenerative sustainable living facilities on the planet? How do we combine the best in architecture, construction, regenerative ag, all these things into one experience? So some of the metrics are places that have the ease of building. That's a major piece. The ease of construction is a big piece. Like in the United States and Europe, the cost of construction has gone through the roof and the cost of permitting is very challenging. So we're really starting in Latin America predominantly where construction is far more straightforward. There's far less permitting time so we can actually build, get to market and employ some of the most insensible things in the world. Like in the United States, it's very hard to you know, build with composting toilets. And yet the technology is extremely vetted and is one of the most important things we can do to protect our water. And so we're really going where there's the ease and where it makes sense from a financial perspective and also from our ability to get to market. Yeah, as far as um, spaces that folks can partake in and visit today. So Cohere, we've been doing co-living experiences across the Americas over the course of the last year and a half. So we've set up invite-only co-living experiences in Ecuador, the U.S., Guatemala. And now we're hosting another Coherence Lab here in Guatemala that's actually open invite, application-based process. But So we've been doing this throughout the course of, of the last year and a half. And Guatemala will be the first locations that we have online. So we've already got a, a few properties down here where people can 
were they to, to want to come down and join us, can totally reach out and happy to set that up. And we're looking at getting some more properties here online over the coming months. Awesome. I have a follow-up that kind of ties both of those. Uh, so I actually lived in Guatemala and loved it. Super beautiful country, especially. I lived in Guatemala City, but made my way out to Antigua, where I believe your property is quite a few times. And I'm conscious of the extreme land and wealth inequality in the country. And totally hear the arguments on like permitting and, and regulation being tough in the states and and looking to places like Guatemala where perhaps there's more opportunity to test some of these like modern technologies but how are you thinking about doing it in a conscious way that helps the the local community and doesn't further displace folks but actually rather integrates them into this quote regenerative atmosphere that you're you're building that's a great question. It's something really important to us. One is providing access to equity. One of the things that's really, especially if you look at Costa Rica, the gentrification there, where people are selling their land for exorbitant amounts of money, but then losing their ancestral lands. In the Cohere model, intrinsically, is the ability to access equity of the decentralized commons. And that extends to everybody down to the stonemason working on a Cohere building. And we believe that is a very essential piece and this challenge, this, so this social problem is something that is wildly complex, and we don't have the answers for it. We have an economic model that empowers local communities through that decentralized ownership, and there are regenerative projects that we're running, excuse me, impact projects we're running in each of these locations, or we will be running each of these locations, but we're looking for our DAO participants to help us sort that, to really figure out what are the best practices, what can we employ, what are those tangible impacts? And one of them, for instance, I mentioned earlier, is composting toilets. Access to good sanitation is something that we can easily fund. We can highlight it inside of our buildings, you know, in a very comfortable experience. And then we can now create a very simple regenerative fund where we're providing access to those types of facilities through our local region. And the other pieces of Marcus, for instance, has a low-cost housing construction company that he can share more about that is another type of technology that we're employing in our Cohere projects. And then we're looking to generate more funds for local, more local impact projects. Yeah, just to add some color to your question, Jackson. And so just glad that you have spent a considerable amount of time in Guatemala. Guatemala is a country whereby half of the wealth is held by 260 individuals. And something along the lines of, I think, 2.5% of landholders own two-thirds of agricultural land. And that's just, when you think about the value that comes along, especially now, right, that we're living in this inflation-prone environment, so many people are looking to allocate their resources towards real assets, right? And so at Cohere, one of the things that we really think about is, like, how are we going to radically change the way that people can acquire real assets, and as Dakota was mentioning, it isn't just folks who are have the capacity to buy in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of land. No, it's we right now is you can literally get in the Cohere ecosystem with a hundred dollar like minimum investment. And so we're really pushing here and the whole reason Cohere exists is to support the small player completely and just fed up with the abhorrent inequality that exists in this world. And the whole reason we are doing Cohere is to really turn that on its head and enable anyone, irrespective of socioeconomic status and background and education. Obviously, there is like a really strong educational component here that will go into Cohere's model and what it means to what is a token. That's a question that we're going to have to explain to people and on-ramp people onto. But we're being very sensible as far as how we are approaching this question. We fundamentally 
actually believe that being able to access land is like a huge lever in people's like financial sort of ladder. And then I think just additionally, and Dakota was touching on this as well, is for me, the, the magic of Cohere is what's going to happen inside the walls of these spaces. Like what conversations are we going to be having? What solutions are we going to be innovating together? As amazing as it is to be connected on a Discord server and say hi to each other virtually through whatever platform of your choice. There's some real power and magic to being able to come together and like collaborate and co-create on solutions, whether it be better waste management solutions, low-cost housing, agricultural practices. Like I genuinely feel that's where a lot of the magic that will come from Cohere and our members naturally are very altruistic and lenient towards hey, we see that the world's problems like are drastic and the only way for us to address them is to collectively come together and address them as a community. So that's one of the core sort of values of why Cohere exists as well is to spread this outwardsly too. It's a great answer. I have one more sort of question related to space and place and, and then I, I would definitely want to go deep on the org design and, and ownership dynamics, which is on this word regenerative. So Dakota, you both used it several times, but... I just, I'm curious for a definition, Dakota, how do you think of what makes something regenerative, both from an agricultural perspective, but also more broadly as a value that the community holds in high esteem? Yeah. Yeah, we hold it beyond semantics in sustainable, what are we sustaining? And for us, it's about how do we actually regenerate the world? How are we leaving the world a better place than when we found it? And how does a system put out more energy than went into it? And that's how we're holding it. It's really so germane to this economic model is that the sum of its parts is so, there's, it's so much more than the sum of its parts. And when we look at these systems, there are ways that we can build that actually restore the health of the ecosystem. They actually regenerate the health of the ecosystem. And that's our goal. How do we restore the health of our ecology in each of these locations? How do we restore and how do we support our communities internally and around the world by reprioritizing the economic drivers? So that's how we're using it. I love that as like applying that lens to the broader community. Do you have any examples in like traditional ecology or agriculture of something that is regenerative just to help the audience better understand like where this occurs naturally? Yeah. Like for instance, in Ecuador where there's 90% deforestation rate, what happens is then you start, the groundwater starts drying up and then you have, and then you have landslides. So in Ecuador, we're very excited about planting polonia trees. Those trees have a two years. They're fast, one of the fastest growing trees in the world. They honey immediately, and they have a two-year ROI just on the tree alone. And so as Cohere, since we're an economic engine, we now can fund that, reforest our land, and regenerate the health of that land, increasing the value, increasing the watershed, reducing landslides. And then because of cash flows, that becomes its own mini fund. And then we go to our neighbors. Hey, would you like us to reforest your land? And now we have an engine economically that's regenerative, but it's also directly increasing the the health of the watershed and the ecosystem. That's awesome. Cool. All right. Hard transition. I want to spend a substantial amount of time on the org design and the ownership dynamics of Cohere. So Marcus, I was listening to to you and several others on the Twitter spaces that you did with CityDAO earlier this week. And within that conversation, there's lots of talk about a network state and and building a a city cloud first. And Alex, who was on the call, mentioned that technology is not going to be the limiting factor here. The internet and blockchains themselves are, are becoming more sophisticated with each passing day, but governments still have a huge say in, in how ownership works. And so I'm curious, either of you can answer this, but what are the challenges that exist in legally buying land as a group? 
Sure. One of the challenges is that there's not, in the United States, I'll use as a comp, typically there's the title, right? Who's on the title actually owns the land. And that has all these limitations. What we've done with Cohere is we're decentralizing the ownership through each person who's buying into Cohere as a member of Cohere is owning a share of the entire pool. So no one's buying, no one's holding the title. They're holding a share of the company that holds all the titles. And it's really moving from this idea of that I own this one thing to we own this whole thing together. And now I have an incentive to steward the whole thing versus being preoccupied on I own this little piece of land. Great. And, and I think this is the best natural follow-up, although you can tell me otherwise. So you have a token, the, the Cohere token, and on your website, in your light paper, you call this a regulatory compliant token. So two questions. What are the regulations to which you're referring when you call it regulatory compliant? And what makes the token compliant with those regulations? So the SEC makes it, the SEC has certain regulations that make it really hard for the average U.S. citizen to invest in companies. And in the token space, there's quite a bit that is outside of the purview of regulation. It's undecided how the Securities and Exchange Commission will regulate these entities. What we saw in this space is that because many of these entities and these DAOs are, in our opinion, clearly flying in the face of SEC regulation of selling a security, we decided that if we're going to make a massive transition on this planet to aggregating a huge amount of regenerative resources and build a new gold, a token that's backed by this ever-growing fund that's ever-building more and more regenerative assets, then we can't be in a gray space. We need to be fully compliant. And so we've tokenized our securities. So our token is actually a security. It's a security in Cohere. It's the actual share of the entity. And that's what allows us to be fully compliant is that we're going in, we went into the regulation, got the SEC confirmation that, okay, this is a permissible security. And that's why we have to KYC. That's why we are KYCing. We actually have that safety for larger investors and smaller investors. Gotcha. Again, tons of follow-ups. KYC, for listeners who maybe this is their first time ever hearing anything related to the crypto space or, or to securities more broadly, could you explain what that means? And then also, can you distinguish between how accredited and non-accredited investors in the U.S. can own part of this Cohere token? Yeah. KYC is uh, know your customer. It's when someone invests in a company, they have to fill out their pertinent financial information and to, for the Securities Exchange Commission to determine if you're an accredited or non-accredited investor. The accredited investor is one who makes over $100,000 a year and holds over a million or holds over a million dollars in assets, excluding the primary residence. A non-accredited is everybody else. And so in the United States, with the radical growth of social inequality in the, the collapsing of the middle class, there's a lot more people in the non-accredited camp. And because a core ethos for us is access to equity and access to ownership, we've run Reg CF, the crowdfunding regulation, through WeFunder. And so we're utilizing that as an onboard for the people who can't otherwise invest at all in a securities-backed company. And, and so when... Folks either say we have two folks, two people who one of whom is an accredited investor, they go through a traditional investment process that any like angel, I, I imagine, would go through it, another venture backed company. 
and then there's another person who they go online to your WeFunder campaign, which for listeners, it, it looks a lot like a, a Kickstarter interface might look. And, and they kick in, I don't know, a few thousand dollars to, to be considered an investor and, and receive equity shares. Does that all go on chain? Or is this maintained somewhere else? What's the financial instrument that actually executes the, the distribution of Cohere tokens as representation of equity? We're utilizing a safe with WeFunder that then converts to our security tokens at the close. So there's something called a special purpose vehicle. We're utilizing WeFunder as our SPV. So in under Reg D, yeah, this is our regulation that we're using for Cohere, we have up to 3,000 people on our cap table. The cap table is just your list of investors. And so by utilizing the investment via the, the CF or the crowdfunding portal, we can aggregate thousands of people as one item on our cap table. As at the close of that, the close of our refunder, those convert into security tokens, and that's of issuance. So our investors in Reg, CF, in Reg CF are getting the valuation of the company at that moment and the commensurate value of security tokens, but that conversion happens at the close of it. One last thing to say on that is uh, securities law have a one-year lockup period, and so it's, no one's really losing anything through investing in CF other than we pay a higher fee to use that service. And so there's a little bit of loss in their investment in terms of the value we can use in the company. That's how it works. And just to speak to you a little bit to the on-chain mechanics, Jackson, that you were touching on, the Cohere tokens are issued on-chain, and then we can either custody those for you or after the one year, which is what happens in that one-year lockup period, you can then withdraw them as same as you would with any ERC-20 token out to your MetaMask wallet. It would just be, yeah, that's a little bit of the mechanics behind the Cohere token. It's really awesome. Yeah, and what gets really exciting is that because there's so many amazing projects in the space right now, what we really saw is that we need some tangibility. Like Web3 can be so high. We need to round that into actually how is this improving our lives today? And how do we use this technology to recatalyze the economic incentive to grow a network of locations around the world, starting for leaders who are already working remotely? We use that as a trust building mechanism to then grow community. And from community, it forms culture. From culture, now we can start actual village development. But you don't just go to village. Villages don't just get built randomly overnight. They have to emerge from a strong culture. And a culture comes from community. And before you can have community, you got to build trust. And so the exciting thing for us in this is that we're building, we've built a token that's now backed by this ever-growing, regenerative, this fund of empowering more and more of this lifestyle that we all, many of us, really yearn for. And we believe is very essential because it doesn't really matter how big your portfolio is or how much fiat money you have, which is dropping in value with inflation. It's your access to food, water, and community. And if we can tokenize that, we've created a new value of gold. The new gold is food, water, and community or food, land, and community. And that, as we build this pool, we now have this token in the larger space that has this direct tangibility, this direct asset back and this direct share back model. Now what we can do in DeFi becomes really exciting because imagine we've got $100 million in this asset back token. Now, wow, what can we do in DeFi becomes kind of bonkers. It's really interesting how you're looking at the best of both worlds here. And I want to apply that same, I'll call it the Hannah Montana lens to how you're thinking about the, the organization design beyond ownership. So an, an elephant in the room for this podcast, at least, is that Dakota, you're, you're a CEO. And, and in fact, your organization has an, an entire C-suite. And 
that's a first for me. I'm still pretty new in the Web3 journey, and I'm curious to learn more about how you perceive yourselves from this org design perspective. So Campfire, this podcast, is, is about decentralized organizations, but decentralized organizations doesn't have to mean that the organization has to be a DAO or exclusively a DAOs are ill-defined anyways. How do you think about the split between the legal entity that these security tokens govern and what I understand to be Cohere DAO? What's the separation of power or duties there? I'm so happy you bring this up because it's such a pertinent question. In a way we look at this as bridge building. We want to live in this like Jordan Hall would talk about. It's like you've got this game B, this world that we want to live in. And then we're all stuck in this A, this game A world that kind of sucks and is destroying the planet and lives are just getting progressively worse. We have to be a bridge. And so what we took on is if we're going to be that bridge, we need to be legally compliant. It's not just like F the system. No, no, let's use the best of the system and depart from that and help everyone we can to walk into this new world who wants to do that. Germane to that or essential to that in our opinion is you don't just go decentralized overnight. Decentralization is a a massive trust building exercise and we have to vet people. It's like the solar system has a center point and then a bunch of decentralization. There's always that balance. In In order for us to create something that is actually regulatorily compliant, we have to use certain structures. Those structures then require certain legal frameworks, which are necessarily bad. A corporation doesn't have to be an evil thing. It actually can do good in the world. And corporate bylaws don't actually have to be for a, a CEO to make $20 million and bankrupt the company. That for us is, we don't believe actually fiat money is that useful in, these, in the coming years. We believe that our access to food, water, and community is what really counts. But C, as a Delaware C Corp, we have certain requirements. And that actually makes us much more trustworthy to a traditional investor who wants to get into crypto but wants the security along with it and doesn't want to have crazy market volatility and is looking to ride a sustainable track rather than a hyperinflationary who the heck knows what it's going to do. So we have the C-Corp on one side, and that is the decentralization of the ownership. On the other side, we have the governance. And it's really important that one whale who, yeah, okay, great. If he want, or he or she wants to invest into the future so we, our kids can live on this planet, please do. We want you to have that upside. We all want that upside. And that doesn't necessarily mean that person is a good decision maker in the community. And that's where the DAO is completely separate. The governance is separate. And then in the DAO, there's a trust building exercise. Who are the wisdom holders in the guilds? And Marcus, of course, you can speak far more to this. Yeah, just to elucidate on that a little bit more, I think the way we have thought about it is we do have this, as Dakota was mentioning, Delaware-based C-Corp, and we've launched a security token that requires us to have a C-level sort of group that is steering the ship, right? Somebody's got to be held accountable for whatever consequences come from Cohere Network, the C-Corp. But then we also have a Cohere DAO, which is what we are envisioning as being the governance, really, mechanism of the community, what happens within the human-to-human relationships. And in the same way that, and this is what's really exciting, and the relationship with Cabin now is you guys are thinking about like NFT passports and how do each of us show up as individuals as we move through this ecosystem. And, and that's really where we see and where we envision Cohere DAO playing this really important role is what's the magic that's happening within Cohere and how do we as a community govern that magic and make sure that it's, and for sure, like none of us at the sort of 
quote unquote C level, which I, I talk about, I feel so uncomfortable with any of us having any of these. They just, they don't fit in at all with what we're doing, but it's just a necessary evil in a sense for us to execute on this mission. So that, I think there's also, there's a very practical execution side of things. So I've been a part of DAOs where it's just a hot mess to put it gently. And no one, it's as someone described it, it's like thousands of mice running in different directions. And that's sometimes what DAOs feel like. You get into a server and you've got no idea where to go. And so we're really being very intentional about what does that sort of engagement, onboarding, community building process look like? Um, and how can we hold that space? And how can we be very intentional about who moves forward with that? Because if you're just contributing two hours a week to this, because you're not sure where you stand within the organization, that organization, the likelihood of success, one could argue, and we've seen, we've seen a number of DAOs like really crumble under the lack of direction and leadership. And this is something we talk about Cohere all the time is what is the balance between structure and flow in the organization? And how do we provide the container for, you know, our community to like really flourish and grow whilst also not having to be totally overwhelmed with the amount of decisions that each of us has to make on a daily basis. So we're just being super intentional. And the word progressive decentralization has been coming up all over the place, including in this podcast. And I think it's the way I sometimes think about the human experience is we like bash against one wall. It hurts. We bash against another wall. It hurts on the other side. And we eventually come to this sort of middle point where it's, oh, okay. So it's not like extreme centralization, nor is it extreme decentralization. There is some sort of middle ground there where we really flourish. And that's where Cohere is aiming towards. We know what doesn't work on either end. And we're really being very intentional about planting the right seeds for this to be a long-term sustainable effort for all of us involved. I appreciate that answer from both of you. It's almost like this separation of church and state. It's not the, it's not the perfect analogy, but... In that separation between the ownership and the governance, still want to dive a little bit more into the mechanics of that pending governance. So I know that there is an NFT strategy to how you plan to think about governance at the DAO level. What is that strategy and, and also what's the timeline for and the utility that, that comes with that NFT? Yeah, so we have an NFT, as you rightly so mentioned, that's currently being developed right now. Really, one of the things that we've been thinking about is what is unique about, do we really need another bored ape-esque PFP project out there in the world? We seem to think that, no, that's not the case. And so what are really some of the key innovations that are happening in the space? And how can we tie those into, again, in the same way that like, I love what Kevin has been doing with the NFT passports. It's like, what's unique about these NFTs and how can we embed them into the Cohere ecosystem? No one has really yet bridged IRL and Web3 in the way that we are aiming to do. So we're being very intentional about the, this rollout strategy for the NFTs. The NFTs will uh, ascribe the holders certain perks. But one of the things we think about Cohere is how do we provide a Web2 interface with a Web3 backend? For example, connecting your wallet. For probably most of us listening to this podcast right now, connecting our MetaMask wallet seems like the most obvious thing to do. You land on a website, connect your wallet to a dApp, and then boom, off you go. For my mother and your you know, aunt or uncle or even just like your friend who doesn't have a MetaMask wallet, that interface is already incredibly complex. What we're doing with Cohere is we're actually developing a DAO OS, a DAO operating system that will be a completely white labeled solution for us to be able to execute, essentially tying in some of the most exciting components within what's surfacing in Web3. So it's like, how do we tie in Snapshot and Discourse and Discord and all of these other platforms under one, you know, Uniswap, whatever it may be, under one platform? 
and enable people to have this very seamless experience where they can vote on proposals, where they can purchase NFTs, where they can buy and sell their tokens. How do we do all of that under one very seamless interface? Because whilst the innovations of Web3 have been incredibly fruitful, they're still really complex to navigate. And so that's one thing that's very of pressing order for us is developing this software for our community to engage and have a very tangible sense of how we can really provide a very equitable, ultimately, platform for people to engage with us and vote. Yeah, it's in the works and of super high priority for us to, to be able to roll that out. You mentioned all of these awesome things that you have in the works. Which part of all of this is the most important or the most exciting to you that we haven't touched on yet? I think it's super important in everything we're doing with Cohere is we're building a mechanism to realign the economic incentive. And so right now the incentive is in much of the world is I have a family. I need to take care of my family. I need to cut the trees in order to cover my bills and take care of my family. And or in much of the world, if I undercut the next guy, I'm going to get financially ahead. And so there's these really terrible incentives in our economic model. And there's just this massive funneling of money out of the ecosystem into a few holders, as, as we were talking about the stats in Guate. The key thing we're after, if we're going to make systematic change and system-wide change, one, we've got to connect our leaders. But can we connect our leaders while building out a whole holding of regenerative assets that re reframe the economic variables so that when I restore the land, when I stand up and take care of the land and steward, and when I help my mates, it increases the value of the commons and increases my value. And that I think is just such a fundamental shift, a fundamental shift in what and why we're doing this. Because we believe otherwise it's just like band-aid dressing. Like my background in architecture was how do we make an impact with the environment? in with our society being more just through architecture. And ultimately, with all the amazing projects I've participated in, at the end of the day, it is only a Band-Aid, unless we fundamentally shift the economics that are driving the built environment. One thing that pops into my mind is like articulation of why it's so like, when our members contribute to bounties, they're actually getting ownership inside of this decentralized commons. And I feel like that's a pretty big value yeah, I think it'd be great to, and Jackson would love to talk to you more just as an open conversation around contributors and community building and how are we going to effectively organize and how do we align incentives for that to happen? Because that's like the biggest challenge right now for Web3 is everyone hops in a Discord server and they're so hyped on the thing. And then a day later, they've got five other Discord servers on top of that. And so how do we create like proper community engagement and traction? I do have one question that is just pulled from your website. So on the front page, uh, there's a quote here. It says, our spaces encourage connection, our technology enables collaboration, and our facilitated processes deepen coherence. Two questions from that. One, the word coherence is, is all over your light paper and your website copy. So what does coherence mean to you? And then two, what is the technology that you're referring to that enables this collaboration and maybe answer that through the lens of how you can incentivize work through ownership in this decentralized commons? Yeah. So the, the first question, coherence, what, how do we build coherence? And last night we were with a friend who's built this um, technology where you can put the sensor on your stomach and as your heart becomes coherent, the audio feedback changes and it's like that, but in a community. And by that, what I mean is by having facilitators, health and wellness practitioner, 
in just people creating this safe container, it allows people to just naturally drop in and become a resident in the field. I don't mean to use jargon. I don't know how exactly to explain that feeling when you start to feel trust with somebody and you can jive and you got past the boundaries and the, of like trying to be cool and you were actually just a human being with another human being. And that comes a lot from the preparation that we do in the onboarding experiences, in the labs that we provide, in the facilitators that we use. We have a whole litany of amazing you know, coming together experiences, but it's ultimately that feeling that deep bond and trust. Yeah, I'd say on my end, resonance is probably the most pertinent word that I would assimilate with coherence in the sense it's like a deep understanding of one another's experience, right? Like at the end of the day, physically speaking, and obviously you can split this in a number of ways, but like we're all sitting, I'm in Guatemala, Dakota's in New York, you're in LA. And so how can we create an experience, like a shared experience that feels good, that imbues peace, that makes us feel loved and safe and inspires us to go out to the world and do the same for others? Because it's not just about coherence with, you know, each other here in this, you know, podcast room or in the Cohere community or in the Cavendale community. It's like, how do we scale these systems in order to really garner a deep sense of brother, sisterhood, personhood, and pass beyond that, like earthhood in a sense, is how are we going to really align ourselves with the fact that, and we are living it through, and not to bring like fear or despair into this, but if we really are being honest with ourselves, at what point are we going to just wake up and be in coherence with what is going on in the world? It's like this rising inequality, pandemic-induced mental health crisis, climate change that our governments are just not at all being effective in responding to. And so it's if these institutions and if these systems that we currently have in place are no longer serving us, then it really is time for us to like tap into each of our truths and through doing so, connect with each other's truths. And it's, we want to live in prosperous worlds where we can drink the water from the tap, where it's not polluted. And so that's really the mission of Cohere from my vantage point is like, how are we going to scale, come up with these solutions? And so that taps into at the granular level, like a Discord server. It's how do we invite people into, make them feel that through a, a text or like a Zoom call or a community call that we host in the town square. And these are really complicated questions because there isn't really a perfect answer for this. And we're all trying to get people to feel like, in some sense, loved and like welcome into the community that, and feel the vibes, the proverbial vibes of Web3. And how do we enable for these things to happen within a very limited set right now? And so that's why we're really putting a huge emphasis on physical spaces and bringing people physically together to cohere and collaborate and work with one another. I love that. There's this... I still am curious to learn a little bit more about how folks can work to own or otherwise earn a sense of ownership. So this idea that a stonemason could have a piece of the Cohere community, can you just walk through how the DAO is going to help facilitate that? Yeah, in, in the, on the high level, imagine that if, as a DAO participant, your bounties are actually getting you uh, equity inside of this ever-growing pool, where our bounties... In, for our DAO participants is actually something of immense value. And what you're speaking to is then how do we extend that to everybody, to the stonemason? So we have a stonemason who may not even know, may have no reference point to a token, actually gets bonused in that. And now all of a sudden they also are a co-owner. And we do that the same with our neighboring farmer. And we do that the same with the, the local textile person. 
as we do this through these bounties of bona fide services, now we decentralize the ownership, not only to the DAO participants, but everyone who's involved. In the DAO, people, we continue to have more trust and we continue to offer bigger and bigger bounties for more and more work. And people can continue to garner that equity stake, even if they may not be abundant in fiat or um, crypto. And just to give like a very practical example of that, we're hosting a coherence lab here in May in Guatemala, where we're going to be building out a lot of the DAO governance structures, focusing on the utility of these NFTs that we're launching in the same way that Cabin DAO started as well, right? You were bringing people physically together in Austin to or outside of Austin to, to work on, hey, let's develop this idea out. And so... That's what we've been doing for the last year and a half. And again, it's been very like close circle, but now we're opening this up wider and wider in order to bring in more participants and more folks into that ecosystem and enable you know anyone to, through these bona fide services, to earn a stake in the project, which is really exciting. In most places, like if you go on a retreat or if you go on some sort of like work trip, you're, you, you'll go and you walk away with, or if you end up, for example, working on a permaculture camp, you go there, you work, and you get nothing out of that experience. And so now we're enabling people to come down, physically work with us, and also walk away through their bona fide services with a stake in Cohere. Dakota, Marcus, really am thankful for both of you coming on the show. I, I think this will be the first of many discussions between Cohere and Cabin. For listeners who want to learn more, where can they go? Yeah, make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram. We are Cohere Network. You can find our website at cohere.network. And you can also hop into our Discord server, which you will find on our website. Great. Thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us, Jackson. Thank you, Jackson. It's been awesome. And looking forward to uh, radical collaboration in the future as we continue to build out decentralized network states. Hell yeah.